You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's show is talking about sports. We're going to try and stay away from the coronavirus discussion. Obviously, no live sports are going on right now, but that doesn't mean we can't revisit, we can't relive some big moments in sports that center around the Oregon Ducks. And in, in today's show, we're going to kind of maybe start putting a bow on both the men and the women's basketball seasons since they both are over. Uh, every other sport at Oregon is over across all levels, and basically sports in general are over, not that I know of. But um, from a men's and women's perspective, this was kind of a sudden end to two years or two seasons, I should say, that were – going in the direction of some historic, memorable moments. The women were poised to, quite honestly, be the odds-on favorite to win the national championship, the program's first, and the first between the men or the women since the men won it in 1939. Uh, and the men, on the flip side, were, were going into March playing their best basketball, going into an NCAA tournament that felt as wide open as it's been in, in years. And there was a legitimate chance that both the men and the women would make the Final Four, that Eric and I would be covering Final Four games from both the men and the women. And to get to that point, though, there were a lot of, I think, Eric, awesome, memorable moments. And instead of discussing games that aren't going to be played and games that aren't, you know, the seasons that were cut short, we're going to go over the five biggest wins or five biggest moments in college basketball this season for the men and also for the women. Um, I'll let you start first with your number five biggest moment of the 2019-2020 basketball season from the women. There are some pretty it, – it, it, you know, we talked about how good this season was and how historic and the potential for what it could have been uh, – Picking, whittling this down to five moments was pretty difficult, and then actually ranking these was even more difficult because so much has happened this season. It's actually pretty remarkable. But uh, my fifth pick is the last time we saw Sabrina Ionescu, Ruthie Hebert, Mignon Moore, Satu Sabli on the court. Um, The Pac-12 Conference Championship win uh, on March 8th, which obviously felt like the beginning of something really, really special, uh, of potentially a postseason that was going to see them win a national championship, be this program that they had been in the regular season, in the postseason. And really, you look at the way they played in Las Vegas, and it was all setting up. I think there was no question. I think that game on Sunday, I wrote a column about it afterwards, about just how that was pretty clearly uh, you know, separating themselves as the team to beat. And they performed so well in that game. You go back and look at it, and uh, all three of their seniors scored at least 20 points in that game. You know, Sabrina Inescu has... 20 points. Mignon Mar, probably the surprise of the game, only only averaging about seven points per game. I think it only scored in double figures like four times all season. She scores 21 points in this game. Uh, is pivotal in terms of kind of creating that separation. Stanford actually led after the first quarter. Um, and, and then Ruthie Hebert was, you know, what she'd been during her entire career. Right. She was that ha- hammer on the block, 24 points, seven rebounds, nine for 11 from the field, uh, six for six from the foul line. Uh, you had all three of those players performing at such a high level at the right time. As the season's coming to a close, they scored 65 of the team's 89 points for the game. Uh, they combined to make 22 
out of 31 field goals and uh, six of eight from three. Uh, Moore and Sabrina combined for 15 of 19 assists on the game. Uh, I mean, really, those three players performed at such a high level, and it's probably really fitting that the last time we saw all three of those players in Oregon uniform, it was in this fashion with them cutting down nets afterwards and playing maybe their best basketball of their season. No doubt about it. For the men's side of things, I'm going to start with a game that was played on the road in the middle of December at Michigan. This was a a top 10 showdown. Oregon came into this one eight and one on the year, or excuse me, eight and two on the year. They, they're playing at number five, Michigan, a team that was on the Bahamas with Oregon. They never played each other, but Michigan won the Bahamas, the, the Atlantis uh, Battle for Atlantis tournament, and it was a, a a period of time in college basketball where people were looking at Michigan and were thinking maybe they're the best team in the country. And that this game was played two weeks after Michigan stormed through the Battle for Atlantis, and Pritt, Peyton Pritchard scored 13 points straight in final uh, moments of regulation, including a made free throw with 45 seconds left to. Uh, give Oregon a 63 to 61 lead. He also made a, a layup to give the Ducks, or excuse me, to, you know, cut Oregon within, uh, or excuse me, give Oregon a, a three point lead. And then in overtime, he scored some more points early on. And at one point in this game, in regulation and in overtime, he scored 13 straight points for Oregon, did it against Zaire Thompson, uh, Simpson, excuse me, Michigan's Star point guard, you know, one of the best defenders in, in the country at that position. And I think this is the moment in which Peyton Pritchard became not only a candidate for Pac-12 player of the year, but a candidate for national player of the year because he made big shots. He attacked the basket at will. He did it against an elite defender, carried the team, played 40 minutes, and he had 23 points and four assists. He had three steals. And he shot 11 of 19 from the field and didn't make a single three-pointer in that game. And I think that really kind of set the table for the rest of the year of Peyton Pritchard's elevated himself in this in his game. And this Oregon team is actually really good because they walked out of the Breslin Center with a 71-70 overtime victory against a top-five opponent for the first time in decades. I, I talked about how hard it was to, to kind of rank these. This fourth one is an historic, historic event, and yet it's, again, not even in the top three uh, on my list this season. But Oregon goes into Gamp Pavilion in, in uh, Connecticut and gives the Huskies the largest, uh, I guess, loss in, in the history of that arena for them. Uh, and I know they play between a couple different arenas, so it's not the most lopsided loss for a home game. But in, this ter- in terms of this particular venue, a, a 74-56 beat down that really wasn't even that close. I mean, there were moments where it was 12-13, but it really was a 15-20 plus point game the whole way through, and Oregon really dominated in this game. And I thought this was really important because I think people have known how good Oregon is. People know who Sabrina Unescu is, but UConn is a different brand, and they are really the definitive women's basketball program. And for so long, no one's been able to beat them like this. No one's really, no one's really been able to beat them. Period. Until the last couple of years here, when we've seen a couple other programs like Oregon elevate themselves. But to go in there to win that game the way they did, 
to have your, your star group play at a high level. We should note, though, that Sabrina Ionescu was not great in this game. Ten points, did have nine rebounds and nine assists, but was only four for 12 from the field. But again, Ruthie Hebert, uh, 24 points, 12 rebounds, 10 for 14 from the field. She was great in that game. Aaron Bowley hit uh, three out of five threes, got them going a little bit early there from distance. And uh, just another one of those things where you go back and you look at this season and the fact that a historic victory over a program like UConn on the road where you just beat them pretty handily isn't even in their top three, like I started off right. saying. That just speaks to what a special season this was. And uh, and, and I think that's a game that you're not going to forget anytime soon. And I think I wrote about it afterwards where – Every time another really good team comes in to Gamble and is trying to knock off UConn, the graphic is going to say largest defeat in, in you know in arena history, 74-56 to Oregon back in that 2019-2020 season. From the men's perspective, it's their first home game that felt like a really big game of the year. That was a early January game. It's the first conference game at home in Pac-12 play. When they played number 24, Arizona, it was maybe the biggest game in the Pac-12 of the year, which we thought going in. Turned out there were a couple other games that were really big, and one of which involved Oregon and Arizona. But this was a game in which Oregon was top 10 in the country. They just came off a, a road game at Utah where they won, and the, week, and the day before that they played at Colorado and lost in blowout fashion. And so we were kind of wondering – is Oregon legit? Are they ranked too high? Maybe if they fall behind to Arizona, they could, you know, maybe they lose the race for the conference championship early on. And we got a doozy. You know, Arizona scored the first seven points of this game. Oregon didn't score until five minutes into this game. They trail at halftime by two. They go out in the second half and it's back and forth and Peyton Pritchard hits a three-pointer, and less than a minute later, Crystal Duarte hits a three-pointer, and next thing you know, Oregon's up 60-57. to 57. And now, all of a sudden, Arizona rattles off uh, a, a scoring run of seven straight points. Uh, excuse me. They go 13 straight points against Arizona, against Oregon. Oregon's trailing now 66-60 to 60 with a minute 47 left after Nico uh, Mannion assisted a pass to Zeke Naji. And Oregon's trailing by six with, with basically two minutes to play. Somehow, some way, Peyton Pritchard gets a basket with 29 seconds left to tie the game at 66. They go into overtime and this game again goes like it's going Oregon, Arizona's way. Oregon comes back because Josh Green makes a layup with 24 seconds to play to lead 73-72. Seven seconds later, Will Richardson scores a basket on a layup. He beats Arizona's defense to get down the court. They win the game 74-73. It's the first of two overtime games between these two teams, both decided by one point. It was critical to keep Oregon in the Pac-12 race, and it was also a game in which I felt like this was a coming-out game for Will Richardson. He scored 21 points. He had four assists. He had five rebounds, a steal. He had a block. This was a game in which we looked at Will Richardson and said, this is a guy that should be starting. This is a guy that, that should be one of Oregon's best players this season and beyond. Third one here on the women's side is probably a little bit less about what actually took place on the court that day, but more about the, I guess, surreal nature of what we watched where, and this is obviously was the biggest sports story of the year back on January 26th. Um, 
Kobe Bryant passes away tragically, stunningly in a helicopter accident. Uh, and the news comes out about an hour and a half before tip off. I remember sitting up at Gill Coliseum with our intern, Jared Mack, and Jared goes, Oh my gosh, Kobe Bryant died. And I'm going, No, that's got to be one of those fake news stories or something that's not, you know, so they got the story wrong. There's just no way that's true. And if, uh, as we all know now, it's, it's the sad truth. And, and he was lost on that day along with, one of his daughters and a handful of other players, uh, or I should say other uh, teammates of his daughter uh, in their basketball, the youth basketball team and, and coaches. Uh, and it was, a, it was a tragic thing. And Sabrina Inescu, of course, didn't come out for warm-ups beforehand. You didn't see her until basically tip-off, which is very unusual for her. And, and she was crying before the game. And the, the team, prior to tip-off, both sides get together, say a prayer, finish it with Kobe. Uh, it was a very surreal, strange thing to be a part of, and yet afterwards, I thought it really said a lot about Sabrina and how she, co- what kind of a competitor she was, is that, that she can move on from something like this, where a mentor uh, in Kobe Bryant passes a young star athlete in Gigi Bryant, who Sabrina had a relationship as well with, passes, and yet she's able to compose herself. She plays all 40 minutes. Oregon actually trails Oregon State at halftime. They, they trail 37-34, not play very well in that first half. Sabrina in particular was not at her best. And in the second half, they come out and just really dominate the game. It's one of their uh, closest games of the season in terms of Pac-12 play. The final margin is 66-57, to uh, only a nine-point win. But I think one of the most memorable days of the season for sure in terms of with everything going on, uh, Corvallis kind of became a mini little epicenter for this story because – because of Sabrina and her known relationship with Kobe, they talked about it on SportsCenter, of course, and and it was a, you know, they talked with her after the game, and she dedicated the rest of the season to Kobe, and I just thought that moment was extremely memorable. Yes, it probably wasn't their best game of the season. They score 66 points. They only shoot uh, 39% from the field and 26% from three. Uh, Sabrina herself, 6 for 17 uh, turns it over quite a few times. Not anyone's best game, but given the circumstances and everything that was going on, um, a very, very memorable game. And I think a, a moment in terms of sports that a lot of people remember kind of where they were that day when Kobe passes. And for myself, it's going to be one of those things where I can say I was sitting and, and watched Sabrina Ionescu rebound from an incredible tragedy and go out and play a really good basketball game and beat a rival. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm at Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. We're counting down the five biggest moments of the men and the women's basketball seasons. Um Eric's number three was when Kobe Bryant died and the women went to Corvallis literally an hour or so after the news hit and, and played a game. Uh, first time that they'd won at Corvallis in years and they got some of the most signature moments. I almost put the men played at the same time almost right. as the women did that year. I almost put that UCLA game. It was a humongous blowout victory against a team that we later would see become one of the hottest teams in college basketball. It was basically the last time someone really put a butt kicking to UCLA and Oregon played terrific in that one. I almost put that one in my top five, but I, but I didn't. And my top, my third most biggest moment of the year is probably the top moment from a team perspective and that's when Oregon clinched the Pac-12 championship on what ended up being their last game of the season. Um, nobody knew it. No one expected it to be. Uh, but this was the last time we saw Oregon basketball play from a men's side of things. They beat Stanford 80-67. to They clinched the Pac-12 championship for themselves and for themselves only. They, going into that day, the Ducks needed some help to see UCLA lose. And Oregon win to clinch the outright title. Oregon knew if UCLA lost that no matter what happened then against Stanford, they were at least co-champions. But look, you don't want, you don't want to share a championship. And Oregon went into that night knowing at worst they're co-champions. And if they win, they are champions. They get the win. And it was a, it was a game in which all three seniors, Peyton Pritchard, Senior Anthony Mathis and senior Shakur Juston all played really good games, all had big moments for this team. Anthony Mathis scored 14 points, made five of seven from the field, four of six on three pointers. Shakur Juston had just six points, but look at the stat sheet. He had nine rebounds, three of those being offensive boards. He had three assists. He had a steal. He had two blocks. He played 29 minutes. He had just one foul. He was everywhere. He had a highlight dunk early on in this game. I think Oregon seniors scored their first eight or nine points going into the the start of it. And then Pritchard had kind of just what ended up being the perfect send off for his career because we didn't know that the games, you know, coming after this would all be canceled, but he had 29 points, six rebounds, five assists. He had a steal. He shot eight of 16 from the floor, four of nine on three pointers, nine of 10 free throws. Just an overall Peyton Pritchard-esque game this season. And two days later, he was named Pac-12 Player of the Year. I I, I just think this was a, a really special moment for the team because it was the first time since 1945 that the program won a regular season championship on their home floor. They cut nets, senior moment, senior speeches were given, and ultimately it was the last time that we saw this team play. Yeah. No, what a, what a memorable night that was, and 
this one I'm making here, this pick, this game doesn't even count towards the records this season, but <laughs> it, it's hard for me not to put this number one, honestly, but you'll see in a moment why I went with this second. But the University of Oregon, before the season even officially gets underway, beating Team USA at Matthew United Arena, 93 to 86. Uh, this is going to be another one of those things where five years from now, I can say I was at that game. I watched this, uh, you know, no, no, no college team had beaten Team USA in over 20 years, only the second time ever that had taken place um, back on November 9th. And again, you, you talk about what this season meant and kind of how Oregon and this program kind of distinguished itself as the premier program and as a huge program nationally. This win right here, you know, they were the preseason number ones. This win right here w- was a thing that I think solidified that and going in against an absolutely loaded Team USA roster. And let me read through the, the, the leading scorers for Team USA. You had uh, Diana Tarasi. She's pretty good. Uh, I'm going to butcher her first name, but one of the Ugumike sisters, I think, uh, and Ugumike? I don't know. I'm bad at names, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Sylvia Fowles, uh, Nafisha Collier, Sue Bird, Simone Augustus, uh, Skylar Diggins-Smith, Kelsey Plum. I mean, these are all all-star caliber players in the WNBA, Hall of Fame caliber players in the WNBA. And for an Oregon, a collegiate team, players that aren't even being compensated for their efforts to go out and beat them was extremely surprising. I think going into the game, I think even Kelly Graves said, like, we don't really think we're going to win and we're going to try to play like it, but we don't really think we're going to go in winning. We'd be silly to think that way. But, you know, the game got to the point where in the fourth quarter, Oregon starts building this lead and... I think you, as some remember, Sabrina Ionescu hits like a 35-foot three-pointer before the shot clock goes down. Uh, Satu Sabali hits a key three-pointer, and suddenly Oregon's up by about 10 points uh, with a couple minutes to play. And Team USA wasn't able to rally a comeback in Oregon. Again, stuns the basically the United States Olympic team. There are going to be some alterations made before this year's Olympics, but a, a big part of that team played at Matthew Knight Arena. And so for Oregon to go out and beat them, uh, it was extremely impressive, and again, I think this is another one of those games that put Sabrina on the map. She scores 30 points in this game, 10 for 20 from the field, uh, 3 of 10 from 3, but she was 7 for 7 from the foul line. Satu Sabali was also great with 25, Ruthie Heber with 18 and 11. Uh, they had their big three firing on all cylinders. I think this was right here where you saw what the upside was. The fact that this team can go out and beat Team USA has to be evidence that this team can beat absolutely anyone in the college game on any given night. And you certainly saw that in this game. I felt like that Team USA win was the first of many moments where the women went from, they're a really good team, I'll I'll make sure to maybe monitor the game on my phone, maybe catch a quarter of the game, um, to going to the point where it was, no, we're not doing anything during this two-hour block because we're going to watch the women's basketball team. That's We all knew the season was going to be really good, but I feel like that was the moment where it was, oh, dear, this isn't just a really good team. This is a historic team. Yeah, no question about it. And I came away on that day saying, man, this team could run the table. Obviously, that didn't take place, but you felt that energy that day that anything was possible for this team. All right, my second biggest moment of – the men's side of things for the 2019-2020 basketball season falls away from home and is up in Seattle for a, uh early mid-January game, early conference game. 
Oregon played just horrific basketball for a good chunk of this game. And at halftime, they were lucky to just be, be trailing Washington 37 to 25. I mean, they were lucky to be down 12 in this game. They couldn't score. They couldn't defend. It was not a pretty game. And Oregon found themselves in this one down 16 points with 13.50 to go without really scoring, without, with, with, with poor shooting percentages. Nothing was working offensively. And you're sitting here going, okay, they're down 16. There's 14 minutes left. And that's more than enough time to come back for a team that's maybe just not playing well defensively, but they're not playing well defensively and they're not playing well offensively. How are they going to score 16 points and hold Washington to zero to make up all this ground in such a short period of time when you haven't seen it? And things got going when a CJ Walker dunk, uh, Oregon held Washington for a couple minutes without a couple baskets. And then Shakur Juson added a layup and now they're down 12 with just under 12 minutes to go. And, uh, Washington eventually scores a couple a, a basket and two free throws and Juicen makes two more free throws but then Anthony Mathis gets going and he hits two free throws and Chandler Lawson gets a, a dunk uh excuse me a layup by an assist by Pritchard and now they're down by 10 10 points with just under 9 to play and then Lawson finds CJ Walker on an alley-oop dunk now they're down 8 with less than 8 minutes to go Crystal Duarte makes a basket to get Oregon back within 8 points Pritchard makes one of his just insanely deep three-pointers, and now all of a sudden, with six minutes left in this game, Oregon is down five points. And the idea is now real of Washington could legitimately lose this game, and Oregon could make a run to win it. Chandler Lawson, a couple minutes later, gets another dunk, and Oregon's down by three points with four and a half minutes to go. And then Washington kind of has a breakthrough. Isaiah Stewart gets a a jumper, he makes a free throw, he makes another free throw later on, and Oregon's down again by seven points with three minutes and twenty seconds to go. And you're wondering how are they how how can Oregon come back? How how are they going to do this? They've made their run. Washington was able to withstand it. And the Ducks found a way. Lawson made another jumper. One of the best games of, of Chandler Lawson's career, his first year at Oregon. Oregon is again down by six points, or excuse me, five. And then Pritchard makes two free throws. Now they're down by three points. And then with a minute six left, Pritchard makes a three-pointer from basically Tacoma to tie the game, <laughs> 54 to 54. And Isaiah Stewart gets fouled on the other end. Uh, after Washington grabbed an offensive rebound, he makes both free throws. The Ducks are down two points with 34 seconds left. Washington called the timeout after the free throws and set up their defense. And Peyton Pritchard feeds an unbelievable pass to, to a wide open Shakur Juson with 17 seconds left 56-56 game goes into overtime and this is when it became Oregon's going to win this game and this is when Peyton Pritchard I thought made a statement that he is the front runner for Pac-12 player of the year you're going to have to play unreal basketball to take it away from him because he scored Oregon's final five points. He made a jumper with 109 left to play in overtime to give the Ducks the lead, 61 to 59. And then after Washington tied it, 61-61, the Ducks 
got Pritchard the ball. He missed a three-pointer. Chris Duarte grabbed an offensive rebound with 28 seconds left. The Ducks called a timeout with 21. They ran the clock down, and Pritchard hit a three-pointer with five seconds to go in the game. Oregon walks away 64-61. We see those iconic images of, of Pritchard screaming, this is my city. He he makes a three-pointer. He freaks out. I mean, if, if there was one shining moment for the season, that play would be played multiple times, and it was it's going to be played multiple times when people do their video recaps of the college basketball season because it was a big shot, it was a game-winning shot, and it was the moment in which Peyton Pritchard not only said, hey, I'm a candidate for Pac-12 Player of the Year, someone's going to have to take this away from me. And no, and it's gonna it's gonna take a Herculean effort to do it. I, I think that was his signature moment of his career, probably at Oregon. Um, in terms of you're right, that aftermath where he's uh, pointing at himself and saying, "This is my town. This is or my my city." Uh, that's something you remember about him for a long time. Just like you think about the shots Dylan Brooks hit his junior season, the game winner over UCLA and over Cal. Even you know three or four years separated from that. We still remember those moments in those plays. I think that's going to be the same way uh, we remember Peyton Pritchard, uh, moments like that one. I think that one in particular will stand out and kind of stand the test of time uh, because you're right, it was so significant, and it was. I think it kind of reminds you that, yeah, they had to overcome a massive deficit to come back. I think people sometimes forget that, but that was certainly one of those games that that, that I think I will always, uh, I guess, remember him for. My top pick here. And again, it's tough to top beating Team USA, but I really think <laughs> I'll be curious. I'm curious to see what the listeners think of this of this order because again, it's, it was not easy to do this. There are so many big moments on the women's side this year, but February 24th was a huge day for Sabrina for a lot of reasons. She spoke at the Staples Center at Kobe and Gigi's uh, memorial before thousands of fans. I think she delivered an absolute A plus speech, about 10 minutes long. I, I encourage you, I guess. Now, if you, if you want to just kind of do a, a rewind and a think back on the season, just go watch that speech. I think that's a great place to start. It kind of shows the kind of caliber of person that she is, uh, not just as a basketball player. But then she follows it up hours later, gets in a plane, flies to Palo Alto for a top-five matchup with Stanford. And if, going into that game, you know there's a really good chance that she's going to become the first player in NCAA history, male or female, to have 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, 1,000 assists. You also know that Oregon winning that game would at least, uh, all, you know, assure themselves a share of the Pac-12 championship and do it on Stanford's court. And Stanford has been the prohibitive favorite, just like UConn has been uh, on the national level, the undoubted premier program. Stanford in the Pac-12 landscape has been exactly that for the entirety of, of the Pac-10, Pac-12 basketball, really. Uh, you know, you think about the stat I think I saw during the Pac-12 tournament where there had been 19 Pac-12 tournaments, and I think Stanford has won like 13 of them, and no other school had won more than one. I mean, that puts into perspective how dominant Stanford has been. So for Oregon to go in and win that game on a day where Sabrina gives that speech, on a day where she becomes the first to get that 2K, 1K, 1K, or triple, quadruple, double, as I tried to term it. I don't know if that picked up or not. But she also gets a triple double, and it's a game that was on national television, and it was a game that Steph Curry was at. I mean, there are so many little elements to that evening, and uh, I, I, again, it's hard to talk beating Team USA. I think this does just because there are so many little elements about it that, that you come together here. Um, she finishes with 21 points, 12 rebounds, 12 assists, 9 for 19 from the field. Uh, doesn't make any three pointers, but 3 for 4 from the foul line. Satu Sabali was great. 
maybe her best game of the season, 27 points, 10 for 17 from the field, uh, 4 for 7 from 3, 3 for 5 from the foul line. She also had 9 rebounds uh, and a couple of assists. She was spectacular in that game. But this was really, I think, we just spoke about how maybe that Washington game was a signature moment for Peyton Pritchard. I think this was a real signature moment for Sabrina. She sets the record. She might not have hit a game winner in this one. And, and because Oregon was dominating every game this season, she didn't have an opportunity to really do that. But to go out and put his triple-double up on the same night where she gave that special, special speech at the Staples Center and also became kind of distanced herself in terms of women's basketball and I guess just basketball royalty in general um, by becoming the first player to, to post that impressive milestone, um, this is a day I think it's hard to surpass. I think it's a day a lot of Oregon fans will remember for a very, very long time. Uh, Oregon wins 74-66. We should note they were up by close to 20 points from a lot of the game. Stanford outscores Oregon 28-18 in the fourth quarter. But this was all about Sabrina and her efforts and the way she performed. And uh, it's going to be a game that's going to be hard to top. And, and I'll be curious to see where the listeners think it stacks up because I think you could make a, a compelling argument for probably, you know, one through four. You could probably – Re, you know, re, reinsert them in different spots and have a pretty strong argument. But to me, this is the one that I that I would stand on and say that's the biggest memory of that season. Yeah, that was that felt like changing of the guard isn't necessarily the right phrase, but it, it was like Oregon all of a sudden has become the equal, mm-hmm. and, at, and and at least for the time being, the team further ahead. Uh, than Stanford was. Now we didn't know the season would, was going to end, but that really felt like at, at that point in time it was like Oregon just took Stanford's best three times in a row, and all three times Stanford couldn't come close. Yeah. And that that really felt like a, a barometer check for, for I think for the program, for the players, and 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 for Kelly Graves, the head coach. Um, one, la- one last thought here, uh, just really quickly, about this season, how special it was. I didn't even include the fact that Oregon beat Stanford by 33 points at home on January 16th in a game where Sabrina scores 37 points, uh, has 11 rebounds and 7 assists. So uh, the fact that a game like that doesn't even crack the top fives just tells you that's just an indication of how great this season was and how many special moments there really were. From a men's perspective, my best moment, best game of the year – is another game away from home. Oregon goes to Arizona. They play their second of two overtime games. They win by one for the second time this season. They win 73-72. And I think it was so important for the team because two days earlier they lost a very ugly game at Arizona State by five points. And you really felt like they let a game slip away from them because – they played horrible, and yet they still only lost by five. Pritchard fouls out in that ASU game with like four minutes to go. And you just kind of are, are wondering for the next 48 hours, like, was that Oregon's chance to win the league? Because now they got to go to Arizona. It's so difficult to, to win down there. They've got to be able to win to stay within puncher's chance of getting to the conference championship for the regular season. And it's the one seed lost and, you're expecting the worst and Arizona deployed a defense in this game where it was, we don't think Peyton Pritchard is good enough to beat us by himself. And we think if we force Pritchard to have to carry the load for all 40 minutes, eventually he'll, he will wear down. We have better athletes than Oregon does and we'll win this game. And that idea was just 
put on a rocket ship and sent to the moon because it it, it did not survive. Because Peyton Pritchard <laughs> had one of his best games in his college career. He hit, I want to say like four or five three-pointers that just made the crowd go, oh, like that was deep. He never left the floor in all 45 minutes, the only player to do that. And he scored a career high 38 points to get, you know, to get Oregon the victory. And it was a game in which you were like the entire game. Can someone just step up and get Pritchard help? Can someone just step up and get Pritchard help? Cause he's going to, he's going to stop playing uh, at this high of a level. It's going to come. And yet it never did. And it, I think this was Pritchard's best game as an Oregon duck in his four years at Oregon. He finished, like I said, with 38 points. He had six rebounds. He shot 12 of 27 from the floor, six of 14 on threes. He made eight free throws, including six in the final minute and a half or so to pull Oregon back and tie the game in regulation. He also had four assists, and a lot of those assists came in overtime when Shakur Justin, Oregon's power forward, their senior, it was basically Pritchard and and everybody else just watching him for a majority of of this game. Mathis scored 11 points in the first half and didn't score any the rest of the way. And Justin comes in and all of a sudden scores seven points, excuse me, nine points in overtime, all nine points in overtime. And all those, all those baskets, except for the game winning basket with one second to go in the game were assisted or impacted by Peyton Pritchard. And so Pritchard has his best moments of his career. Oregon gets a huge win on the road and it ends with Shakur Justin getting a layup assisted by Will Richardson with one second to go in this game for Oregon to walk away 73-72. And after that game, you're you're going in thinking, not only did Oregon just keep their championship hopes alive, all they have to do is win at home. They have three games left in the regular season, win out at home, and they're more than likely going to be conference champions. You know what I take away from our lists? Oregon men had a lot more exciting finishes than the Oregon women did. <laughs> every I think that's speaks to how dominant the, the women were. I mean, the, the men exactly. were very good, but right. the women were just incredibly dominant. Yeah, I mean, there's no buzzer beaters. There's no last-minute heroics by anybody to speak on the women's side. On the men's side, you had five that you mentioned there, plus a couple of others you probably could have added as well. Um, yeah, they, they Peyton Pritchard was pretty darn clutch in the last – Parts of games and and I think your list and and the way all those things plays out kind of illustrates that pretty darn well. Well, I'll give you one idea. So I almost included Oregon's seventy-one sixty-nine victory against Seton Hall in this list because it was a game in which Oregon was trailing by sixteen points and Shakur Houston scored on a putback with fourteen point four seconds left for Oregon to win the game. Um, again, excuse me, they were down 16 points in the first half. They were down 19 points in the second half. And so that was a, an impressive comeback. It was probably one of the best wins anyone had across the country. And for Peyton Pritchard, it was a, it was a big time moment for him because he went toe to toe with Miles Powell of Seton Hall. Obviously Powell doubled him up in points. He played, right. he scored 32 to Pritchard 16, but Oregon didn't, you know, Powell didn't have the help that Pritchard had in that game. Chris Duarte had 11. Juson had 12. Uh, CJ Walker had 12. And, you know, Anthony Mathis had, had six. And 
Lawson had seven points, and you know Seton Hall had two other guys that scored ten or more points, and that's it. And you know, so Oregon had. A, I think that was probably one of Oregon's better halves of basketball, but it just didn't quite feel like it needed to be on there because it was a game played where they won by one in a tournament where they lost the next two, uh, mm-hmm. and, and and whatnot. And so I'm curious, what what was the maybe one other game that you maybe considered? Uh, I, I said it earlier. The it, it is that the first game was Stanford um, in Eugene, where Sabrina scores. I think Curry had 37 points, and they win by 32. And uh, that was definitely one that was kind of hard to keep off the list, but it kind of wasn't because it's really hard to to ignore some of the incredible things that happened. Like, uh, are you going to take off? The, the Kobe game, are you going to take off a win over UConn at Gamble, which was the largest? Can you take off Team USA? Uh, can you take off any of the other, Stan- either the other Stanford games, you know, the Pac-12 tournament or, or the game where Sabrina breaks the 2K, 1K, 1K record? You really can't. So uh, I thought it was a pretty clear top five, but that sixth one in there on most years would probably be one of the three or four, two or three most memorable plays, but I just couldn't even really consider it all that much because – there were so many other moments that I thought were better. All right. Hopefully you guys out there enjoyed this. Do you disagree with our five for each? Is there one that we needed to include? Is our order wrong? Let us know. Shoot us a text. DM us. Twitter us. Twitter us. Tweet at us. Uh, <laughs> go on DuckTerritory.com. Hit us up there as well. Thank you for listening. We're going to keep coming out with some content throughout However long we're all in this quarantine, but we're Eric and I will, will still talk ducks and, and we've got some stuff in the works. I think are that's going to be pretty cool. So thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Preman and for Eric Scopel, we'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos.